Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Nice and loud there. Uh, <laughs> glad to get everybody's attention there. Glad to have you all here this morning. So happy to be able to be here to study God's word with you, and I always look forward to studying with you. And there's going to come a time that we're going to be able to uh, like interact with one another more um, because just lecturing doesn't do well for me all the time. Maybe just sitting and listening all the time um, for, for myself. I like to interact as well. I may have questions. You may have questions. So we're going to get to that point, probably not in this class, but here soon enough, Lord willing. Uh, before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God in heaven, thank you for this day, and thank you, Lord God, for your word. Help us to be able to study it, Lord, and understand what your word says, and let us get excited about studying your word, Lord. Let us get excited about putting your word on our hearts so that we may live a more purposeful life uh, towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we were in chapter 7 of Second Kings, and I want us to, um, we're going to quickly go um, through chapter 7 right now um, because we've already covered a lot of it. But I want us to go back to verse 3 of chapter 7 where it says, Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live, and they, and they kill us, we shall only die. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore, they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact. Their tents, their horses, and their donkeys. And they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into the one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, saying, We went to the Syrian camp, and surprisingly, no one was there, not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied in the tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out, and they told it to the king's household inside. So we see that these leprous men, they had a dilemma. dilemma. First, they were thinking about the choices of death. They were like, well, we're going to die anyway. So either we go show ourselves and we die or we just die. Either way, it's just, they thought it was the same outcome. And then we see that um, when they get to the camp, as we read, that God had confused the minds of, of, of their army there and, and they fled. I'm, and they got there and they ate and they got their own personal wealth, as we see. I, I noticed they, they didn't go and say, well, we hid our, our monies over here. That's neither a, a point there, but I was just thinking in my mind, um, they made sure that they, they had their personal wealth taken care of. But then they realized, you know, we shouldn't just do this for ourselves. 
Our, our people are there starving and they don't have anything either. Remember last week when we were reading about how much of a donkey's head and, and, and uh, uh, dung from a bird was going to cost? Because, well, the, the people were, they were eating that and they were also eating each other. They became, you know, um, cannibals. We read about the, the mother, the two mothers. One said that she, um, she went to the other mother and said, hey, let's boil, let's cook, um, eat your son and then tomorrow we'll eat my son. And so they boiled, can you imagine, one child and they ate that child. And then tomorrow when I say, hey, I'm, let's eat your child, she done hit her child away. I mean, they got to a point where they were that desperate. And so these lepers, they knew that. They finally came to their senses. And they were like, we shouldn't, we shouldn't do this. We, we got good news to share. Let's go and share it. Now, it's the same thing for us today. We have good news to share, don't we? Don't we? That good news is that God has sent salvation for us. We have a way back to him. We have a way to talk to him through his son. Uh, we have a way of knowing that we're going to be provided for uh, by God. We know this, but there are, there are people in the world that don't know that. Because if they did and they, they truly believed it, then they would do what was necessary to become a child of God. Um, some people, they just, they just don't know. So we need to tell them. We need to share that good news. It's not, it's not fair for us to hold it in, just like these leprous men. Holding your peace today, or the good news, if you hold that, then judgment is going to come upon us. Um, so the king was informed. And there was still disbelief, but then there was victory. We, we see that in verses 12 through 16. Um, and then we, I, I know we covered last week, verses 17 through 20, or at least we talked about it, about the unbelieving aid of the king. Remember, he, he didn't believe that tomorrow they wouldn't be eating like they were today, and that they were actually, the food prices would go up. Um, he didn't believe it. So he was told, no, it's going to happen, but you won't enjoy it. You'll see it with your eyes, but you won't be able to enjoy it. In fact, he ended up dying. So that brings us to chapter 8. Uh, verses, I mean, chapters 8 and 9 is Elijah's, Elisha's mission to Haziel and Jehu and the death of Jezebel. Because she is still around. She is still alive. Uh, in verses 1 through 6, we see the various works of Elisha. So remember we read about the uh, Shunammite um, woman and she uh, she her life was spared. She was told to go and go somewhere else because a famine was coming uh, and, and her life was spared but when she came back she still needed help because her land needed to be returned to her. And so we get to Let's see, we can start in verse 1 there, chapter 8. We're in Second Kings, chapter 8. Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God. And she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. It came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, and she went 
to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. Then the king called, excuse me, talked with Gehazi or Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, tell me, please, all the great things Elisha has done. Now it happened as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life, that there was the woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, oh, excuse me, my lord, oh king, this is the woman, and this is the son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the land until now. So we we get to see that she still is being helped by by God, the shooting might woman. And what we see is that the king, based on Gehazi's words, restores the woman's property. And I was thinking, as I was reviewing this again last night, about Gehazi. Remember he went chasing after Naaman and falsely told Naaman uh, some things that would make Naaman think, oh, okay, here, here's some extra clothes and here's some money. And then when he took it and he, you know, he hid it and then he went back in front of Elisha. Elisha asked him where he had been. He was like, I haven't been anywhere. And, and Elisha said, I, I know you have. And because you did what you did, the leprosy of Naaman is going to be on you. Well, this is the same Gehazi. And so I was thinking, if he was a leper, how could he be standing in front of the king? And so I did a little research myself. And the question is, did Gehazi still have leprosy in Second Kings 8.4? And what I found is um, a few things, nothing really definitive, but something for us to think about. So in Second Kings chapter 5.27, we read, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, is struck with leprosy. Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper, like snow. When we see him, though, now in chapter 8, he's talking to the king. People with leprosy were excluded from regular society by the law of Moses, according to Numbers 5.2. So how is it that Gehazi was standing before the king in his court? There are a number of possible solutions to this, to this apparent uh, conundrum, including the following, following. A, perhaps although not recorded, God was merciful and Gehazi was cured of the disease, like Hezekiah's divinely appointed death was averted by prayer in 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. Or, perhaps the part of 2 Kings does not follow a strict chronological order. Other parts of the Bible do this as well. The book of Jeremiah, for example, is well known for it. And the events of 2 Kings 8 involving Gehazi actually occurred before he was struck with leprosy. Or, perhaps the king did not obey the laws regarding lepers. We know that he didn't obey other parts of the law, 2 Kings 3, 1-3. So it's more than possible that he disregarded these two. Or, perhaps the leprosy that Gehazi had was not the type that excluded someone from society. This one right here is something that I hadn't thought about because I only thought about leprosy in one way. Well, the leprosy, the the leprosy that excluded people from Jewish society was the form um, was in the form of a boil, raw flesh, or an itchy infection that spread, meaning that it was uh, infectious. 
you can read about a lot of that in uh, Leviticus chapter 13, uh, chapters 10 through 11 and 14 through 15 and, and other uh, chapters in Leviticus. If someone's leprosy was white, then they were considered clean. It was not infectious. And then I remember reading that uh, as I was going through my study. I was like, oh, yeah, I do remember reading that. And they were not excluded from society. Uh, Le- Leviticus 13, 12 through 13 and verse 17. So it appears that in 2 Kings 5.27 that this is the type of skin disease that Gehazi had. It was like snow. Thus Gehazi's was a skin disease which was non-contagious and therefore did not fall within the Levitical laws concerning quarantine. So it's possible that Gehazi did have leprosy in, in this chapter here in verse 4. And it's also possible that he didn't, depending on whether or not Gehazi had been healed on when the events around Second Kings 8-4 happened, on the morals of the king, or on what type of skin disease Gehazi had. So uh, nothing definitive there, but when I, I saw his name and I saw him talking to the king, I was like, how could he be? How could he be talking to, how could Naaman be talking to the king? How could Naaman be in charge of the army? You know, those, those are, those are things that, um, rather than just going through the study, just reading it real quick and, okay, these events happen, take the time to actually study up the other things that, that, um, stick out. Kind of like what we've been studying on Wednesday night in, in the Wednesday night class, how to study the Bible. You know, there are different things that we need to, consider different words that we need to look up and remember what happened. Irregardless, Gehazi is there and he's answering for, he's answering the king and helping this lady. All right, so verses 7 through 15 in Second Kings chapter 8, we see that Ben-Hadad is ill and wants to know if he will recover. And again, when we read verse 9, we see that the gift in chapter 8 Verse 9 matches the wealth of the asker. Verse 9 says, And the king said to Hazael, Take a present in your hand, and go to meet the man of God, and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? So Hazael went to meet him and took a present. Every time I read this word present, I'm thinking, you know, a little box. Here's something nice. With him of every good thing of Damascus. But I don't think 40 camel loads fit in a little box, right? And he came and stood before him and said, Your son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? Well, he tells him he will recover from the disease, but he's still going to die. Verses 11 through 13 reads, Then he set, set his continents in a stare, this is Elisha, until he was ashamed. And the man of God wept, and Hazael said, Why is my Lord weeping? He answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their strongholds you will set on fire, and their young men you will kill with the sword, and you will dash their children and rip open their women and and child. Excuse me, women with child. So Hazael said, But what is your servant, a dog, that he should do this gross thing? And Elisha answered, the Lord has shown me that you will become king over Syria. Well, he goes back and delivers the message to the king, and then he also kills him. He dips 
uh, a cloth and some water and puts it over his face and suffocates him. He dies. Verses 16 through 24, we see Jehoram, who's reigning in Judah. Remember, there are two people with the same name, Joram, Jehoram, interchangeable names. Well, he, he reigns for eight years in Judah, uh, two years as a uh, co-regent with his father, Jehoshaphat. We can see both in Second Kings and also in Second Chronicles chapter 21 that Jehoram was evil. He was evil. He was so evil that when you turn over to Second Chronicles chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 21, you will see that all his brothers are named and he kills all of them. He kills all of his own brothers. And the reason being is that he, he wanted to get rid of anyone who posed a challenge to his rule. Um, you know, this wasn't just happening to God's people or in the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. This was happening all around the world, all around the same time, with other kings that ruled in other places. They would kill whole dynasties, even if it, even if it was their own family. They just wanted to make sure that they, they ruled. Uh, but it still, it was wrong. We get to verse 21 of chapter 9, excuse me, chapter 8, and we read, we're going to start in verse 20. In his, in his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. So Joram went to Zer and all his chariots with him. And he rose by night and attacked the Edomites so, who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots and the troops fled to their tents. Then Edom has been, thus Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day and Libna revolted at that time. When we turn over to, let's turn over to Second Chronicles chapter 21. For those of you all that are new to the study, or this is your first time studying with us here online or in person, what we've been doing is trying to cover both First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. And what we find is that what we read in First and Second Kings, we can also find even in greater detail in First and Second Chronicles. And so what we see about this account in Second Kings chapter eight. We can read about in Second Chronicles chapter 21, starting at verse 12. The scripture says, well, let, let's go, let's go back to verse 10. Thus Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day. And at that time, Libna revolted against his rule because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. Some similar that we just read. Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah. And caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit harlotry and led Judah astray. And a letter came to him from Elijah, the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord God of your father David, because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat your father, or in the way of Asa, king of Judah, but have walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and have made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to play their harlot like the harlotry of the house of Ahab, and also have killed your brothers, those of your father's household, who were better than yourself. Behold, the Lord will strike your people with his serious affliction, your children, your wives, and all your possessions. And you will become very sick with a disease of your intestines, until your intestines come out, by reason of the sickness, day by day. So, 
we see that there's a message that comes from Elijah. You have sinned and caused Judah to sin. Therefore, the Lord will. And before we go on, I was like, wait a minute, Elijah, I thought he was dead. And so I did some more research. Maybe Elijah, well, there's no maybe. Elijah was a prophet. And um, I don't know. Maybe God told him ahead of time and he sent this letter so they'll be ready. Maybe Elijah, all these things that were happening were happening all at the same time. Sometimes it's really hard to nail it down. But the Bible records that Elijah sent this letter or there was a letter that was uh, that came from Elijah. And so I believe just like I believe the Bible and that's and it came from Elijah. And what Elijah said was that God will smite the people with a plague and his wives and his children, and all his possessions. And, and he will die uh, of sickness. One version I, uh, read, I read said sickness of his bowels. And as we read there, sickness uh, or disease of his intestines. But what what I want us to really focus on is what uh, hopefully we you've been seeing throughout this entire study is that these leaders, these kings in Judah and Israel are influencing the people that they are um, that are serving them. If whatever they're doing, however they're worshiping, however they are doing what they're doing, there are a lot of people that are following them. Not, not everybody. There's there's always been a remnant of folks that will serve God the way they should. That tells me that I must be careful as a leader, and those uh, the rest of us that are leaders. In the, um, within our congregation or in your home or at work, you as a child of God can be a great influence on the people around you, on your children, on your spouses, on uh, your co-workers. But if you're not standing God's word, if you're not actively pursuing the Lord, you can also lead people in the wrong way because they will look to you to give the answer. To what they should be doing in life. And what we see is that a leader has the influence over the people that they lead and that they, what they do and what they sanction goes out to all of his people. That's what was happening here. There was lying. There was no punishment according to the law. They were living immorally. The nations, the nation followed its leader. I would say to you, especially those of you all who are leader in, in your own way, own right, be a different leader. Be one that follows the Lord. When you are focused on the Lord, I'm not, we're not going to be perfect. We're going to get it wrong. Every day we're going to get it wrong. We're going to sin every day. That doesn't mean that we don't stop trying to serve the Lord the right way. And be that leader that says, you know what? I messed up. I know I'm wrong. Let me get back up and serve the Lord. Let me not be like Ahab who, I don't know what I should do. I, maybe I'll do, I don't know. Maybe I'll do, Jezebel, what you think? You know, he's dead. Let's be reminded that he's dead. We, we're going to get to Jezebel here soon. I know I know, Liz, you ready for me to, to kill her, right? I'm not the one that does it, but we, we had a conversation about Jezebel. She, we don't want to be a Jezebel either. We don't want to be a, a Ahab. Um, we see that there's the fulfillment of the, of this curse in chapter 21, verse 16 through 18 in Second Chronicles as well. Joram dies, or jo- Joram dies, and Ahaziah reigns in Judah. Another name for Ahaziah is Johahaz. 
um, your depending on the version of the Bible you have, it may say Jehoaz. Um, that you can see and talk, you can read about him also in Second Chronicles twenty one, nineteen through twenty. Then we have Athaliah, who is the granddaughter of Omri and the daughter of Ahab. She is married to Jehoram. Excuse me, as Ahaziah. I'm saying his name wrong. Jehoahaz and Ahaziah. Ahaziah, guess what? He was a, he was evil too. He was evil, and we can read about him in Second Chronicles twenty-two one through five. He fought. He and Israel fought against Syria, and they lost. So Judah and Israel are fighting together, and they lost. And then in chapter nine, we see that Elisha. Uh, he's going to go and anoint Jehu. He's going to anoint Jehu as a king, a king of Israel. In verse 1 of chapter 9, he says, And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Get yourself ready. Take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. Now when you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from among his associates and take him to an inner room. Then take the flash of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and do not delay. So God tells him to go uh, do this and he does carry out his, his command. And we see in verse 5 that Jehu is declared as king. In verses 7 through 10, there are the additional instructions are not stated in verses 1 through 3, but in verse 7, he was supposed to strike down and totally remove, uh, totally remove like Jeroboam's and Basha's families. In verse 8 and 9, it says there, we start at verse 7, You shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord. At the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish. We already know that this is going to happen because God had already said it was going to happen. And I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. So I'll make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebath, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. The dogs shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. He opened the door and fled. So when he's asked in verse 11, well, is all well? Why did this man, mad man come to you? He hides the truth from them. These men knew he was not telling the truth, so he tells them of his anointing. And they accept him as king in verse 13. In verses 14 to 15, uh, it's almost as stated, do not let your conspiracy be known. Uh, you can also read about that in Second Chronicles chapter 22. And we're going to read verses 16 through 20 and see how Jehu's, excuse me, Joram's uh, messengers do not return to him. In verse 16, the scripture there says, So Jehu rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram was laid up there, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to see Joram. Now a watchman stood on the tower in Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company of men. 
And Joram said, Get a horseman and send him to meet them, and let him say, Is it peace? So the horseman went to him and went to meet him and said, Thus the king, thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu said, Who have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported, saying, The messenger went to them, but is not coming back. Then he sent out a second horseman who came to them and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported, saying, He went up to them and is not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. Then Joram said, Make ready. And his chariot was made ready. And Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, went out, each in his chariot. They went out to meet Jehu and met him on the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Now it happened when Joram saw Jehu, that he said, Is it peace, Jehu? So he answered, What peace, as long as the harlots, harlotry, excuse me, of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many? Then Joram turned around and fled and said to Ahaziah, Treachery, Ahaziah. Now Jehu drew his bow with full strength and shot uh, Jehoram between his arms. And the arrow came out at his heart, and he sank down in his chariot. I tell you, the Bible is so very detailedly graphic uh, when it comes to how people are dying. I, I don't, to me, I, I, I just not... I don't know. It is not comical, I guess, but it's just like, wow, so very graphic. I only, only mention that because God is trying to make a point. God has made a point over and over and over again. It seems like they're just not getting it. What I could not understand for me, and this is just me thinking in my mind, you sent two people out and they didn't come back. And your watchman is telling you what's happening. What makes you think that you were going to go out and anything different was going to happen? You know, uh, he wasn't going to ask you to, to join to join him. So we see that he's killed in verses um, 25, 24 to 26. And in verse 25, there's the burden or the prophecy that was given and fulfilled. Then Jehu said to Bedekar, his captain, pick him up and throw him into the track of the field of Naboth and the, Jez- the Jezreelite. For remember when you and I were riding together behind Ahab, his father, that the Lord laid this burden upon upon him. Surely I saw your uh, saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, says the Lord, and I will repay you in this plot, says the Lord. Now, therefore, take and throw him on the plot of ground according to the word of the Lord. Then we get to verse 30 and we have the, the death of Jezebel. We see in verse 30 that now when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through a window. Now, I couldn't understand what she was attempting at first to do. Was she trying to look good for him so that, you know, nothing bad would happen? She already knew that he was coming because she had heard about it. In the teen class on Wednesday night, a couple of weeks ago, we were trying to consider how did Boaz and his servants know who um, who Ruth was? Because when he asked, well, who is, who is this young lady? They said, oh, she's, you know, um, the daughter-in-law. Of, she came back with Ruth and all these things that happened. How did they know that? 
And the kids were like grasping for all these answers. I said, it's not that hard. There are people just like us. People talk. People talk, and, and it, it goes really quick, and they, they, they would have known who, who she was. Well, um, I believe the same thing was happening here. So she already knew. She was preparing herself for death. Basically, that's what she was doing. Whether she knew it or not, she was getting herself ready. But I, I still don't understand because she would have already heard the prophecy as well. Um, because of what I'm, I'm saying this because of what happens to her. So in verse 31, she says, Then as Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master? I don't know how she thought anything good was going to come out of that. And he looked up at the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? So two or three units looked out at him. Then he said, throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood splattered, uh, spattered on the wall and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. To me, it didn't take long for those units to look outside and say, yeah, we are. And it didn't take long for them to pick her up and just throw her out the window. What kind of leader was she? What kind of person was she? That her, the servants that are around her are... They're quick to get rid of her. All they had to do is give me the word. Let's not be like that. That's that's the warning I, I give, the caution and encouragement I give to us. We see that he goes in, he sits down and eats. And, you know, the death that she get, she got that is um, Jezebel was a violent death and hardly a death of a queen. Um, but he goes in and eat and then he's like, okay, go clean her up, go go pick her up. They go out there, there's nothing, there's nothing left of her. In verse 34, it says, And when he had gone, he ate and drank, then said, Then he said, Go now, see the accursed woman and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Either he was in there for a long time eating, or those dogs, those animals, they just, they, they took care of her really quick. So Jezebel is gone now, and we don't have to be concerned about it, but we do hear the word Jezebel, her name again later on in Scripture. Well, there's the prophecy of uh, 1 Kings 21 through 23 that's fulfilled in verses 35 through 37. Then, for the next eight chapters, we see the decline and fall of Israel, chapter 10 through 17. In chapter 10, we see Jehu's extermination of the house of Omri and the worshippers of Baal. Jehu, I have written in my notes here, is a mixture, has a mixture of good things and bad things that are going on with him and doing his reign. Reign. Verses 1 through 11, we see the execution of the 70 sons of Ahab. Jehu wants to know who will support him. In verse 1 through 3, verses 1 to 3, he says, now, it says, now Ahab has 70 sons, and Samaria, and Jehu wrote and sent letters to Samaria to the rulers of Jezreel, to the elders and those who reared Ahab's sons, saying, "Now, as soon as this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city also, and weapons, choose the best qualified of your master's sons, set him on his father's throne, excuse me, and fight for your master's house." But they were exceedingly afraid and said, "Look." Two kings could not stand up to him. How then can we stand? And he was in charge of the house. And he who was in charge of the house, uh, the elders also, and those who reared the sons, sent to Jehu, saying, 
We are your servants. We will do all you tell us, but we will not make anyone king. Do what is good in your sight. Then he wrote the second letter to them saying, If you are for me and will obey my voice, take the heads of the men, your master's sons, and come to me at Jezreel by the time, by this time tomorrow. They killed all seven of those sons and beheaded them. And they, they sent them on, on up there to, to the king. In verse 13, we have, uh, we see that there were some folks that were coming down to, to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother. And they were children of Ahab by concubines, and therefore brothers of Joram. So they were slain also. And there is death, in verses 15 through 17, of anyone else of that seed that was remaining. God was God was for real about what he said. And all you have to do, God is always real about what he says. Just do what he tells you to do. And that's what we see is happening right now. And then we're going to read verses 18 through 28 in chapter 10, where we see the elimination of the prophets of Baal. Then Jehu gathered all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little. Jehu will serve him much. Right there. We're not going to read all, all of that. But I wanted to point that out right there. It seems like, it seems like every time these kings, not just seems, it, it does happen. They get strong. They get, they get too full of themselves. He was doing what God told him to do. He was, he was doing exactly what God told him to do. You know, uh, uh, taking care of Ahab's seed, just, just um, abolishing all of it. And then in the very next verse, Verse 18, Ahab served Baal just a little bit. I'm going to serve him very much. He, he's just going to go against God. The temple had worshipers and prophets from one wall to, up to the other. Vestments would easily identify them all. When we look at verses 22, at least that's what, that's what he wants me people to think, that that's what I'm going to do. When we get to verse 22, he... He's he's presenting as though I'm going to be serving Baal, and I want everyone to come in that's serving Baal. Verse 21, Then Jehu sent throughout all Israel, and all the worshippers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple of Baal, and the temple of Baal was full from one end to the other. And he said to the one in charge of the wardrobe, Bring out vestments for all the worshippers of Baal. So he brought out vestments for them. Then Jehu and, and Je- Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshippers of Baal, Search and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, but only the worshippers of Baal. So they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had appointed for himself 80 men on the outside and said, If any of the men whom I have brought into your hands escapes, whoever lets him escape, it shall be his life for the life of the other. Now it happened as soon as he had made an end of the offering, the burnt offering, offering the burnt offering, that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, go in and kill them, let no one come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. Then the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple of Baal. And they brought the sacred uh, pillars of the temple of Baal and burned them. Then they brought, broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and made it a refuse dump to this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. So I said he got strong. I, I'm, I'm, I'm repeat. I'm saying this because people. I mean, we can read just like we can read and we can know that it seems like the men of God. Uh, excuse me, the kings that were in charge of kings of 
Judah and Israel, it seemed like they can get strong and then they just leave God. So this would seem like, well, he's just doing the same thing. He's going to join right with us. He's right in there with them. And he made sure anybody that was truly of God, they were out of there. And he wanted to make sure everyone was identified that were um, worshipers of Baal. So he, he was fooling them, fooling them. And he goes in and sacrifices and everything, and then he has them all killed. He burns everything. So it looks like he's doing exactly what he should be doing. But then we get to verse 29. And it says, However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the sin of Naboth, who had made Israel sin. That is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in doing what isn't right in my sight, and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your sons shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart. For he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin. That's sad. You know, he was doing, seemed like he was doing right, and then he decided, no, I'm still not going to follow God. I am considering if we're going to stop here right now. We are, we have verse 32. What I would like you all to do is please read the rest of chapter 10 there through chapter 14. And I want you to look up, if you, this week, have some time to look up this lady named Jehosheba. J-E-H-O, Sheba, S-H-E-B-A. See how much information you can find out about her. She's talked about in Second Chronicles 21, and she's also talked about here in chapter 11 of Second Kings. And next week, we'll talk a little bit about her and how we can be like her and others that we will read about here in Second Kings. Thank you all for being here in class. And uh, we, we have just a few more lessons before uh, this course will be ended and then next quarter we'll be studying the book of James. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord God in heaven we thank you so much for your word. There's so much here Lord. So much that is trying to be covered during this class Lord but we know Lord God that we should take it on our own and go home and study your word independently Lord so that we may grow ourselves. Uh, we may grow through your word and that we may grow spiritually that is Lord. Help us, Lord, as we close this class today, that we ready ourselves to worship you this morning, to sit at your throne, the foot of your throne, Lord God, and praise you and honor you as you deserve, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are dismissed.